One of, one of the things that goes on in, among preachers is when there's an ordination or people are talking about an ordination, one of the ministers or somebody, somebody from somewhere else will say to me, so you have qualified brethren in the congregation? So, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I just thought about that. Because in some cases I'm told that is not the case. And I wouldn't. Wow. Can you imagine going to a church where I guess things are so unruly and then whatever, everybody does their own thing and that nobody be qualified to be a minister. I, I can't imagine that. That's, that's like out of my, off of my radar screen. So I don't know where, but I, I actually heard people say, I, I don't know who, I, I just don't know what we would do if we had to have ordinations. Anyhow, and then I was just studying this and I was, uh, what was I, what was I studying? Oh, difficulties. Some of the some of the problems that arise in relation to ordained people and congregations, as the average American church would operate, and, and one of the problems that that people have that pastors struggle with, typical pastors in the United States struggle with, is 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 the fact that when they're hired on, okay, so they need a preacher and they put out the fields for preachers, whatever they do, I don't know if there's some kind of clearing house or whatever, but they, 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 they're out to, to hire a preacher and somehow they get together and they have, they have their interviews and all this stuff. And, and despite all the interviews and despite, despite all the conversations, when the preacher actually arrives, a lot of people are unhappy because... Because this preacher's from somewhere else, and and there they expected certain things from the preacher. So so he he kind of got into a little thing, and he did what they expect him to do. But now when he transfers over here, he has this expectation that the congregation is going to expect the same thing that they expected 500 miles away, and they have different expectations, and they're un. Those expectations are not communicated despite the best efforts. And all at once, there's, there's conflict because, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do this, and I didn't know that you expected that, and, and I expected that you would think that I'm doing a good job. And, and they're saying, oh, no, but you're not doing a good job. And he's saying, well, wait a minute. Like, what, what is a good job? And they're saying, well, a good job is this, this, and this. And so they have all, all these difficulties that, that, and I'm told that the average average U.S. pastor pastors the church three years. No, actually it was 18 months. 
So about the time you get to know each other, it's all over. Well, I'm glad this morning. That's biblical that we choose from among us. That's, you know, it, it takes care of a lot of unrealistic expectations. We live with each other long enough to know about who we are. And um, and really, what we want to look at this morning is not what you expect, or I expect, or someone else expects. Actually, what we want to focus on is what God expects. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, typically in a qualification message, we go to Timothy, Titus, Peter, and we're going to just read through those this morning. I chose not necessarily to take those as a text. I'm just going to read through them, make a few uh, brief comments, and then we're just going to move on to looking at biblical leaders and and their experiences in the Bible, very commonly known uh, individuals. So, to begin with, we're going to read through qualifications. We'll go to 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> 1 to 13. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. As Brother Arnie always said, it doesn't say he desires a good office. It says he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Run that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest by being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall to reproach in the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy and filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let those also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So you look at this, and I look at this, and it's kind of like this morning is like preaching a Father's Day sermon. Because when you preach Father's Day sermons, you preach about how you want to be, how you wish you could be, but unfortunately not always are. So, but the simple fact that we draw 
resources from the congregation and ordained them into leadership, then the fact that it's a bishop here or a deacon here or whatever it's saying would apply to everyone. This would be our goals as Christians. They're simply godly goals. Now, having said that, um, an interesting event took place last Sunday morning. When I got home, I said to myself, <clears throat> you know, my assignment next Sunday morning is qualifi uh, biblical qualifications for ministry. And uh, Warren just got done preaching the sermon. So now where do I go from here? That did not distress me. Um... But perfect. All right. So he he wrote on the blackboard wherever it was here. Uh, <laughs> he got somewhere between ninety-seven and eighty-five, and somebody and one of the comments was he did the ease backwards. Well, yeah. So, so what's the preacher supposed to get? 85? Right. The point was well taken in my mind. Okay, we strive for perfection. We're never going to get there. Uh, he minorly complained about 85? I think I, if I was a preacher and I got 85, I would be doing well. Uh, but anyhow, I, I just roasted him a little bit here. <laughs> you got everything right 85% of the time. I, I think that would be, uh, be doing really well. You know what he said? He got the point last Sunday. At least the point I got was, all right, we strive for perfection, all right? Obviously, we all know that we're not going to make perfection. There's something going to be a little backwards or it's not going to be however. But it's that goal. It's that Heartfelt desire, that intense longing to be like Jesus. So let's go on to Second Timothy two. <clears throat> I thought I would just inject that in there. Second Timothy 2.2 2, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now there's not a whole lot of qualifications necessarily in there, but it's just 
the term faithful. It's kind of like in the Old Testament when God summed up a king's life or a person's life by saying, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That's it. Didn't go into detail. Or he said, he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so, just just simply, you know, it's like, Somebody says to me just a name in, con- in the a prayer congregation. And I say, you know what? I mean, they're all in there. They're in it 100%. You couldn't ask for a better church member. It's, yeah. Are they perfect? No. But their heart's right. And they're faithful. And they're doing whatever they can do. And they're doing it to the best of their ability. And God's pleased. He just simply is. And so, very simple. Faithful. Someone that's in there. Someone that's involved. Someone that's committed. Someone that's available. That's what God's looking for. Titus 1. Five. For this cause I left thee in Crete that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre or money, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So, a life of moderation, a life that's controlled, a life that teaches and understands biblical concepts. First Peter five. which I are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre or money, 
but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the person that he's describing here is a person who doesn't have to be forced to work for God. You don't have to constrain them. You don't have to grab them and say, you've got to do this, you have to do that, whatever. Not by constraint. Not because there's money in it. Not because you want position. But simply because you're willing to do it. And you are a motivated person. A ready mind. I remember when I was I was interviewed. They said, you know, uh, would you be willing to do this job if the lot became yours? And I said, well, I really don't want the job. Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't aspire for the job. However, I've read the book of Jonah enough times to know that um, not a wise a proposition to be running away from what God wants you to do. So, uh, on the basis of that, I would be willing to do it. <clears throat> Verse 3 says, doesn't hand everything down from the top. You live it by example. Uh, you're a team worker. Submit yourselves to each other. Um... Try not to be proud, because if you do, you um, cheat yourself out of the grace of God. And I don't think anybody's want to do that. We need all the grace we can get. And be able to cast your care upon God. Now, he doesn't mince any words in verse 10. Difficulty. There's difficulty. He calls that suffering. Um, but on the other hand, difficulty is either going to make you a better person or a worse person. 
And if you're doing what God wants you to do, and you're following His will, um, truly, ordained or not, whatever we are as Christians, if we have our eyes open, uh, sometimes it takes a bit of time for us to understand that difficulty and we look back on it and say, you know what, I didn't like it at the time. I, I was very uncomfortable, but you know, it made me a better person. It simply made me a better person. And sometimes it might take a year before you figure that out. Sometimes it may take five years to figure that out. Um, but, yeah, knocks off the rough corners. Settles us, if we allow it. And verse 11 says it all supposed to be to the glory of God. To Him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Everything from comes from the top down from God. He has the dominion. So, anyhow, as I said, uh, Brother Warren hit the high points last Sunday, so we're going to cover a few critical but less important points this morning when it comes to qualifications. Perfect heart before God certainly tops them all. So we're just going to look at a few this morning. Uh, we're going to start out with discipline. And I thought of Daniel. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I've observed people who get away from home and they behave different away from home than they do at home. Um... I know particularly of a person, unfortunately, would never be caught with a pair of oh, Bermuda shorts, whatever, pants that are cut off. Never caught dead with them at home, all right? Never, ever. But goes on vacation, and if you take a little... Short look at the vacation pictures. Dad's wearing shorts. You ever hear that? You know, if you go to Sarasota or you go to Pinecraft, you can do stuff in Pinecraft you can't do at home. Not so Daniel. Not so Daniel. Dad and Mom weren't around. Neither was... The priest or the preachers or the whoever. And it came time to eat some stuff. And Daniel says, no. No, 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 no. Not me. See, Daniel didn't believe in vacation behavior. Now, he wasn't on vacation because he was taken by force into another country. But that didn't bother, it didn't bother whether they were at home or they weren't at home. It didn't matter who was watching, who whatever. Daniel wasn't about to wear shorts. He wasn't about to eat this stuff that the king offered to him. He was disciplined in his behavior. So, situation doesn't change. 
they went to the king and they said, you know, uh, we think you're so great, maybe we should just have this rule that nobody's supposed to pray to anybody except you. And they tickled the king's ears and he signed a paper and said, aha, we got Daniel now. No, he didn't have Daniel. Because it didn't matter whether the sign was signed or whether it wasn't signed or whatever. When, G when Daniel saw that the, heard that it was signed, what did he do? Went to his window three times a day. He was disciplined in his behavior. Then I thought of wisdom. Turn with me to First Kings 3. And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown to thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and get this. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. I'm going to be transparent this morning. This is exactly how I felt when I was first ordained. I could have read this verse. In fact, I remember one time responding to an invitation at revival meetings, and I went downstairs, and the evangelist says, So, what's the problem? And I said, I have too big a job, and I feel like a little boy, and I feel overwhelmed. And that's not bad. And I hope I never forget it. Foundation of wisdom is humility. He says to God, I'm a little boy. I, I, need, I need help. And I mean I need help bad. So if you give me one thing, please, 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 just give me wisdom. Beginning of wisdom is to know that you don't know. And thy servant is in the midst of a people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And a speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So where do we get wisdom? So, does the bishop say, well, you know, the Lord told me this, and I've got the wisdom, so this is what we do. 
Absolutely not. Under no situation. I believe all wisdom comes from God. And of course it comes from this book. And the better I know this book, the better off I'm going to be. But I have to understand that it doesn't matter who I am or where God has placed me, that he also gives his wisdom not only to me personally, not only through the word of God, primarily through the word of God, but he gives wisdom from those around me. It's tremendously presumptuous that any leader could even think that they understand all the dynamics that there is to think to know in order to make the decisions that please God in a congregation. I cannot possibly understand. No other single person can possibly understand and decipher God's will in any particular thing. I'm studying this this sermon this morning, and I'm thinking, what would it be like to be the single pastor in a congregation? The thought just boggles my mind. What would it be like? And everybody's looking at you to make the right decision all by yourself. It's like, wait a minute. That's why we have brotherhood. That's why we have plural ministry. That's why God set up all these things. Because we can't possibly understand all the dynamics by ourselves. Number three, vision. Numbers 13. Numbers 13.32, these went in, the, the spies went into the land and they looked up this land and uh, they come back with this stick and grapes hanging over and they had pomegranates and they had figs and they had all these wonderful things out of this land. And verse 32, it says, They brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came from the giants. And we were in their own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. So how did they ever get back? If the land eats up the inhabitants, how did they get back? How the spies survive? I don't know. And all the congregation lifted up her voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, against Aaron, and the whole congregation and said unto them, Would God we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? 
And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let's make a captain, let us return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Shephunah, which are of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search is exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land, and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all congregation bade spirit stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the congregation of the in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them, I will smite them with a pestilence, and disinherit them, and I will make thee a great nation and mightier than they, etc., etc. If the Lord is with us. God needs his children to have vision. And certainly it's critical that leaders have vision. We must, our vision must be rooted in the almighty power of God. Because, like Joshua and Caleb said, if God's forced, who's going to stop us? The church isn't going down the tubes. Everything's not going bad. If you do, if we do what God asks us to do, and we're obedient to His commands. And I thought of the heroes of faith. It said, they looked and they saw something way out there. And what did they see? Ed, someone tell me. A city that was built of God. Alright? Okay, so they're here. And the city's over there. And our job is to get from this point to that point. Alright? That's our job. And so we're going to have to set a trajectory to get from here to there. And that's exactly what they did, and they made their decisions by that because of their vision. And I'm getting ahead of myself on the next point, but that's okay. We'll just blend them all together. They had vision. They saw something that other people didn't see. And because they saw it, and because that's what they wanted, and because they lived with that vision, the Bible calls them the heroes of faith. That's what we call them. They were heroes of faith because they could see further than the end of their nose. Do I have vision for the church?
And the next one's decision, which I already started in on. So, they didn't focus on, they, they, they dealt with the immediate circumstances, but they did not focus on the immediate circumstances. Mo, it says of Moses that he rejected the, uh, what does it say, uh, basically the, the prestige of Egypt, and he connected himself with God's people because he saw something that the Egyptians didn't see. And because of that, his, all his decisions was based around that, that vision. And his decisions produced the trajectory of where he was going to end up. So first of all, he had to know where he was going to end up. He made the decisions that were going to put him where he wanted to land. So trajectory produces destination. I'm thinking this through, and I'm thinking, where's Prairie Church? Where, where is the trajectory of Prairie Church? Where do we want to land? That's, that's a, a legitimate question. Where do we want to land? Where do we want to be? 20 years from now? Where do we want to be 50 years from now? Where do we want to be 100 years from now if the Lord doesn't return. Well, where's, what's the trajectory? And realistically, we have to be honest enough with ourselves to say, and it is overwhelming to me to think, uh, I, I, I'm doing things that I've accused my wife of doing, is starting half sentences and doing another half sentence and another half sentence. And uh, Let's back up the first one. Uh, it, it's... Uh, it's critical for an organization, particularly the Church of Jesus Christ, to just recognize the fact that leadership does produce trajectory. It just simply does. We can't get around that. That's, that's awesome to me and overwhelming and... Well, I mean, he's sort of hum humongously sobering, but, but it's the truth. It's just simply the truth. Leadership, not completely established trajectory, but it certainly does seriously affect it. And I think that's another reason why plural ministry is critical. One person cannot set a set trajectory. At least it better head. At least it better head. Now I'm going to be vague enough with this, but I'm going to be honest enough with this to let you know that this happened 
pre-Prairie Church, and it not necessarily happened in the church that I was from, but I was at one point on a board, all right? You know, I try to figure it out. But the board chairman set the trajectory. And whatever happened, it had to end up like he originally wanted to end up. And eventually, when I went to a board meeting, I said, you know what? There ain't no point in me talking because I know how it's going to end up anyhow. That's just the way it is. Unfortunately, the trajectory didn't end well for the person. And you know what? It won't for any of us either. If it all comes from one person. Never has, never will. Next one I thought was humility. Second Samuel seven. Let's see how many I got to go yet. Not very many. But I do need to move along here. So uh, I'm just kinda tell a story. Uh the king's sitting in his house and and he's thinking, I I want to build a temple for God. For the Lord. And so he calls Nathan the prophet in and his spiritual advisor, and he says, You know, I'd like to build a temple for the Lord. And Nathan says, Go for it. Go for it. Wonderful idea. Go for it. And then Nathan goes home and he goes to bed, and God says, Nathan, here, here, here. I got a message for you. And he tells Nathan, You go back to David and say, uh, Good idea, but. Uh, not right now. Yeah, we used to travel around and we used to have a tent and that's where I dwelt and all this stuff. But but yes, there, I, I'm going to put you at one spot and I do need a temple someday, but it's not going to be you. It's going to be one of your sons. Now David's king. And David has... The power to, and certainly had the money to get what he wanted. Uh, if you don't believe that, you can read the account uh, when he actually got stuff ready for his son. But anyhow, and uh, let's look at verse uh, 7. No, let me see. He said, God said, I'm going to build your house, but then I'm going to let your son build a house. That was the message. So, and then we're going to, uh, we'll just wrap up here at verse 15. But my mercy shall not depart from him. It's talking about uh, David's uh, posterity. I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine 
house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision did Nathan speak unto David. Then went David in and sat before the Lord and said, Notice what he said. He didn't say, What's the big problem? I got the money, I got the time, I got the help, I got everything I need. Like, why can't I do it instead of somebody else? David's big plan as a leader, you would say, personally, was crushed. David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? NIV says, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Tremendous insight into the character of David. Instead of complaining and whining and asking questions and being miffed and all this stuff. After God says, I'm going to establish your house, but I'm going to let one of your children build the house, the temple, David says, why me? What did I deserve? That you're promising me all this stuff. And that you're allowing my son to build a temple. For my posterity. Is it okay? If the new minister can preach better than all three of us put together. Is it okay? Is it okay that former leadership after all this does a better job than all of us? Is that okay? Does that... Am I trying to build a personal dynasty of some sort? Or is it okay? <coughs> that the best is yet to come. I hope it is. <laughs> Seriously. I hope it is. The best is yet to come. I don't know how to say this. You know, I want to understood right, okay? I'm certainly concerned of what happens at Prairie and who we are and all, all that now, okay? I, I'm, I'm really concerned about that, okay? But I am certainly 
very, very, very much concerned what's going to be happening at Prairie 20 years from now. And I have to recognize that what happens at Prairie 20 years from now, 30 years from now, or 50 years from now, Lord willing, is not going to be within my power to influence. Directly influence. Okay? In other words, I ain't going to be there saying in the ministerial meeting, yes, we should do this, or no, we shouldn't do that. Because my days are numbered. All right? So I pray to God that as leadership develops and those of us older pass off the scene, that God's program here at Prairie keeps right on going. That's a major concern of mine. I don't understand. I, I, I can't comprehend Being in a church where things are sliding down the tubes 80 miles an hour, if you want to use that term. And I lived through the 70s, and I watched conservative Mennonite churches in our community go from basically what the kind of church that we attended all the way right out the door almost. I mean, it was a slide in the 70s, unbelievable. I don't know if it had anything to do with the rebellion of the 60s or what happened. I mean, it's uh, LMS, um, Langston Mennonite School. They went from being pretty much like we are to burning their coverings and cape dresses and all kinds of stuff. And, I mean, it wasn't very long either. I mean, a period of 10 years it is incredible. I mean, this thing was going wide open. I just don't understand. I, I can't imagine being in a, a pastor in a congregation with that kind of a mentality to just leave it all. I, I just can't. I can't perceive that. And just think, just studying this sermon. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, prayer. You're appreciated more than way more than what you realize. Seriously. Way more than what you realize. Next is courage. So now we have the same man, which is Nathan. God gives another job. David, he goes, supposed to be out to war, and he sees this neighbor lady and gets her husband killed so he can have her for his wife. David says, God says to Nathan, Got a message for David. I want you to go tell him. Now, if you were given the job to give somebody bad news after they had just got somebody else bumped off to get what they wanted, how would you feel about it? What would happen if David wouldn't have repented? 
You know, Nathan could have just kind of mysteriously disappeared too. So I wonder what happened to him. Because kings could do that. But Nathan, he went, he told David a story. When he was done telling David the story, David said, that man will die. He told him a story about the little sheep. That man will die. And Nathan says to him, you are the man. Now you think Nathan's heart was pumping a little bit faster? Now thought of Ahab. Elijah. They had a famine. And he met Ahab. And Ahab said, oh, so you're the one in trouble in Israel. Elijah says, you are the man. Now you read about how Ahab lived. And all the shenanigans he did. And the Bible says he did worse than all the rest of the kings before him put together. If I understand it correctly, or at least worse than all of them, and to point at him and say, "You are the man." And then Ahab, then uh, then uh, Ahab goes home, and he looks out his window and he sees this vineyard, and he says, "You know what? I'm gonna bump him off." I need that vineyard pretty good. Or he tells his wife, and his wife decides, well, I'll just get him bumped off. And uh, so you get that vineyard. Elijah, I got a message for Ahab. So Elijah goes to him. Oh, Ahab says, so, my enemy found me. Elijah says, you know what? The dogs are going to eat you up. And they're going to lick up the blood of your wife. When I think about the kind of courage it seemed like I need sometimes to be a leader, and I think about that, I think, you know what? <laughs> God's not asking me a whole lot from me. I, I don't, you know, I, I just... Wow, Lord, I, I'm glad you don't give me jobs that that tough. Uh, whatever. But courage. Yeah. It does take courage. Number seven, it takes integrity and transparency. Now, if I had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're leaders. That's why they were there at the big golden thing. That, that was a leadership meeting. You got all the hierarchy, whatever, in there, and they and they built this big thing, and so everybody's going to bow down. They're going to play the music and all that stuff, and they're going to bow down. And um, but they didn't. The king didn't uh, reckon with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's integrity. No, no, we cannot retain our integrity and bow down. And so they did. And they look around and say, oh, we've got a bunch of rebels here. So they drug them into the king, and the king says, okay, fine, uh, probably you didn't understand. So, you know, it's like, I'm going to make sure you understand. And so he goes through this whole thing and names all the 
instruments and the psaltery and the sackbut and all this stuff, and they're going to play all these particular things. And, and you have to understand now that you're going to have to bow down. And the men were very transparent. They said, you know what, king? You can play the music. You, you can do whatever you want to do. But our integrity does not allow us to bow down. The king says, well, you know, I'll throw you in the fire. So he says, start turning up the heat, you know. And, and literally, and whatever. It's like, heat up the furnaces. And, yeah, you, you really you really think you're going to do that? And they said, you know what? I just be honest with you, king. It doesn't matter how hot it is. It doesn't matter whether they throw us in or whether they don't. It doesn't matter whether we die or whether we don't. God's going to deliver us from your hand. We'll, we'll just be honest with you. Sometimes leaderships feel like they're kind of in the fiery furnace. I don't know. Take some heat sometimes. But I, I, I haven't felt that kind of heat yet. Um, but you know, humble, integrity, unapologetically lived out is one of the most powerful influences that a Christian or a leader can have. And Arnie Screech said, popped in my mind right there. Humble, man with integrity, unapologetically led this congregation for many years. Tremendous influence on my life and your life too. Number eight is patience. And this last one, I'm quarter 12. Wow. James says, uh, you're happy if you endure. And you, and you think about Job. And I won't even turn. I have references, whatever. And you think about Job. And you think about, you know, Job and how the patience of Job. And how he, how he endured. And I was wondering, well, how long did Job suffer? And he talks about days. And he talks about months. Okay, so that's plural. Now... Anybody here have chicken pox that like chicken pox? Put your hand up. First of all, how many people have had chicken pox? All right. Uh, if you like chicken pox, keep your hand up. Nobody has chicken pox. All right. So I don't know what Job had, but how about if you had chicken pox this week and you had chicken pox next week and it was itchy? I mean, it was itchy, really itchy, and it was oozing. And how about if you had chicken pox next week? Then about the fourth week or fifth week, you look and hear worms started being in your chicken pox. Now, when Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand upon the uh, earth in the latter days. I don't have this. And those skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I always thought that was after they put him in the casket, put him in the ground, and the worm said, Aha, here we go. we got one more to eat up. 
That's what I thought. In Job 7, you read that, and it says he had worms in his ulcers. That's what it says. Scabs, worms, days. He says, I try to go to bed. I toss and turn. I think the night's never going to end. Hopefully the day comes and the day comes and, I, and I, I can't wait to go to bed and I go to bed. And then when I go to bed, I have these horrible nightmares. And I toss and I turn. And, and I got these, these sores. And, and, and there's worms in the sores. And, I, and I'm weak. Next week. Next week. Some would say up to a year. Probably black leprosy. Most likely. Patience. I haven't had to exercise it like that. Can you imagine having a disease for three months? It wouldn't let you sleep. When you go to bed, you toss and turn, have nightmares, and get back up and can't wait till you go to bed again. And, and, you know, this thing is just itches and won't leave you alone. It's like, <sighs> when's it ever going to end? Patience. Patience with yourself. Patience with other people. Then he had his friends. He had to have patience with them too. Uh, patience when it misunderstood. Job did. Uh, yeah, minister has to have patience. Patience when personal goals are delayed because of added responsibility. You know, I've wondered whether the minister's wife doesn't need to have the most patience. I asked my wife, you know, it's like, you know, the honey-do list never gets all. It's always there. I don't know if other people's honey-do lists ever get all or not, but mine never did. But it was honey-do lists, and Dad has to study all day. But as James says, we count them happy that endure. So ministers, wives, we count you happy that endure when you have patience and the things that you would like to get done and sacrifice for the Lord, for the church, and for your husband. So, uh, actually, I didn't know how to, didn't write anything how to wrap this up, but um, Lord, give us courage, give us peace, give us wisdom as we seek His will.